Welcome back to the Vatican Briefing, National Catholic Reporter's new podcast covering a major meeting in Rome that could determine the very future of the Catholic Church. I'm Joshua McElwee, the reporter's news editor and former Vatican correspondent. And hello, I'm Christopher White, the reporter's current Vatican correspondent. Together, we're co-hosting this one-of-a-kind briefing from Rome. Just days ago, Pope Francis opened the four-week Synod of Bishops, a gathering of some 450 bishops, priests, and laypeople that is discussing big issues, such as the possibility of women serving in ordained Catholic ministry, married priests, and how the Church can better include LGBTQ Catholics. Each week during the Synod, we're offering the latest updates from the gathering and a featured interview with an expert who will help us guide us through the big events. Later in this show, we'll be joined by Mercedarian sister Philo Herota, who was the only woman appointed to the seven-member preparatory commission for the Synod and is now taking part in the gathering as a non-voting expert. But before we get to our interview, let's talk a bit about what has happened in the last week at the Synod. It's been a lot. This is one of those weeks that feels like it's been a month already. We're recording this on Saturday, October 7th. Chris, do you want to give a bit of a rundown of everything that's happened already? Yeah, Josh, before the Synod delegates even entered into the Synod Hall for their first session on Wednesday, October 4th, a number of things had taken place that have, could have implications for the discussions that are going to happen all month. So I, I think we're going to just try to run through them as quickly but as helpfully as, as possible. And I think maybe a starting point would be on October 2nd. That day, early in the morning, we were informed of a publication of what's known as a dubia, or these questions or doubts, of five retired conservative cardinals who, you know, I think it's fair to say for the 10 years of the Francis papacy had been at odds with Pope Francis's pastoral priorities. And they had put to the Pope a number of questions where they wanted yes or no answers from the Pope on whether or not the church can bless gay unions and whether or not the church can ordain women as well as the nature of synodality, forgiveness, and a few other issues. But the question of gay blessings and women's ordinations were the two hot-button issues. And they went public with their responses because the Pope had written them back and they were unsatisfied with what the Pope had said to them. But critically, they did not release the responses from the Pope himself. And so a few hours went by, and then the Vatican released the responses from the Pope. And the Pope did not give in to their yes or no demands to put him in a corner, but he had these thoughtful replies in which he basically said on the question of gay blessings that it's something that can be studied, and he signaled a real openness to it. And he said, look, we didn't want to see bishops' conferences enacting uniform procedures, but he said as long as it doesn't conflict with what the Church traditionally teaches to be the sacramental marriage between a man and a woman open to children. This is something that could be explored. And that, of course, sets the stage for all the discussions we're going to see in the room this month on this very issue. Yeah, I think it was very interesting, too, Chris, how we framed it in our report at ncronline.org was a possible watershed moment for the Church. Here we have the Pope, the, the guarantor of Catholic doctrine, saying there's a scenario in which he thinks it could be possible for the Catholic Church to bless same-sex unions, saying it, they're not the same as uh, how the Catholic Church understands marriage between a man and a woman. But he said a, a, a request for a blessing from a couple is akin to a request for God's help. And basically, who is the Church to refuse uh, a couple asking for God's help? It's really quite extraordinary. Yeah, and I, he had that line in there about our job as priests, we're not to be judges. 
We're to guide people in their journeys to God. And there are Catholic priests that bless hunting rifles. And the intent of that, I don't think, is to, to, to bless the killing. So there, there's a lot of ways in which blessings have been used over, over the years that could cause people to scratch their heads. And I, I think this is an area, of course, that's going to be open for more debate and, and study, as the Pope indicated. And then we have the question of women and their ordination to the priesthood. And he, he talked about, basically, it's not the role to act against what the church teaches. You can't act against what the church teaches. But he did say, like the question of Anglican orders, this can be studied. So it wasn't a firm upholding of some doctrinal prohibition. I think it's a, a more gentler response that we've seen to the question from a pope, certainly since in 1994, when Pope John Paul II issued his very controversial ruling that the church does not have the authority to ordain women. Yeah, what I found really fascinating there was this splitting of hairs by Pope Francis. He recognized what John Paul II had said in 1994. He recognized that John Paul II had said that, that this must be definitively held by the faithful. But then Francis kind of went into a discussion of, well, we're not really sure what that means. We don't know what it means that Pope John Paul II is saying this is a doctrinal declaration. Uh, Francis said that doesn't mean it's dogmatic, doesn't quite clear how strength, how strong that is. And, and he said, frankly, the issue can be studied, just as it has been studied, the fact of the Catholic Church's relationship with the Anglican Communion, which ordains women as priests and bishops. I think it's quite fascinating to see a little bit of movement here and acknowledgement that this issue might be an issue we can talk about again. Absolutely. And that kind of leads us into, there are so many things happening here in Rome, inside the Senate Hall, but outside the Senate Hall. And so on uh, October 3rd, there was an event with the Women's Ordination Conference at the Basilica of St. Praxitus on the other side of town. And it's uh, a sort of historic church. There's a ninth century mosaic image in there of Theodora, who was the mother of Pope Paschal I, and has an inscription of Episcopa. And this was a special place that was chosen for a, a prayer vigil for women's ordination advocates that just provided a chance for women to tell their stories to talk about what it's like to be women in the Catholic Church at this particular time in the Church, where all these questions are being put up for discussion to acknowledge the pain, but also the hopes. And that was just on the eve of the Synod, but also just after this extraordinary response from Pope Francis on this question. Yeah, I have to make a disclosure here, because one of those advocates is my wife, Kate McElwee, the Executive Director of the Women's Ordination Conference, but I found it a very interesting and moving event. There's also lots of other events happening here in these days. There are clergy abuse survivors in Rome also having witnesses or protests about the Synod, calling for the Synod to discuss, I think, more firmly the Church's response to clergy sexual abuse. Uh, they're also bringing forward concerns they have about the, the Pope's new chief doctrinal officer for the Vatican, the head of the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith, Cardinal Victor Fernandez, who was a fellow Argentine theologian who the Pope has known for years. And Cardinal Fernandez has admitted that there was a case uh, when he was a bishop in Argentina that he did not handle well, and some of these survivor advocates are saying this should disqualify him from the role he currently has. Of course, the Pope has not said anything like that. Cardinal Fernandez has apologized for this mishandling of this case, but certainly these people are being heard here in Rome and having their events. And, and that was all before the Senate even began. And so now let's go to October 4th, the official day of the Senate, Senate which was just a full-on day here in Rome. We began the day at the Vatican with our colleague Rena Guidos from Global Sisters Report 
covering the opening mass for the synod. And it was quite extraordinary. One, it was a, a beautiful day here in Rome. And there was a, a long procession where the lay delegates were ahead of the bishops and cardinals that were participating in the synod. They were leading the procession through St. Peter's Square up to the altar, which just provided a really striking image of, of what this synod in many ways is about. One of the ways in which we, we can really tell the story of this synod is through the images we see, and, and that sort of set the stage in a, in a beautiful way. And I, I think the Pope then gave a homily in which he said, we are to, called to be a church that does not impose burdens on people. He repeated his line, his mantra that he's been using a lot in recent months, totos, 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 or tutti, 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 that the church should be open to everyone, everyone, everyone. And that was his plea. But he also, he hearkened back to the time of the Second Vatican Council and Pope John XXIII's call for a church that is unafraid of the modern world. That's what he keeps coming back to, a church that is unafraid to be engaged in the world around it. That is his call. Uh, and of course, on that same day the Pope was opening the Synod, he also released a new papal teaching, an apostolic exhortation called Laudate Deum, a follow-up to his 2005 papal encyclical, Laudato Si, focused on care of the common home and protection of the environment. It was, a, it was an interesting document, about 11 pages, really seemed to be geared towards pushing the UN Climate Summit this winter in Dubai to do more and to protect the environment. And the Pope, I think, had some pretty strong words to say for Western attitudes in terms of use and, cons and consumption of the environment. He even identified Americans in particular as a, a group that should be more aware of its handling of the environment. Now, you can read more about that. Chris's reporting is at EarthBeat, which is also a publication of National Catholic Reporter at ncronline.org. Yeah, I think by the end of the day, Wednesday, we all were thinking, what a week. And it was only <laughs> halfway through. That afternoon, the, the Pope gave his first official remarks inside the Synod Hall. And he really used the occasion to drill down on his often used line that this is not to be a parliament. He really, I don't know how many times he repeated that phrase on Wednesday, but he had specific words to say about us, members of the media. And he encouraged synod members to fast from the media. And he said, look, in, in past synods, you know, one or two issues have taken up the spotlight in the press coverage. And he didn't want to see that in, in this synod. And he had this interesting line where he said, look, I've read reports that have basically said this synod is about women's ordination, the question of women's ordination. And it's very frustrating. It brings us to this moment that we're in right now, where the Pope has set these rules for the Synod, these expectations that this time is to be considered more of a spiritual retreat rather than a time to engage the outside world. But it, it sort of set this strange conditions for us to operate in. Yeah, what the Pope did here is he approved a regolamento, or a document by which the Synod members should conduct themselves during the assembly. As Chris is saying, it told the participants that they are bound to confidentiality and discretion about synod discussions. It's not quite clear to us, and I don't think it's quite clear to the members themselves, what that means in terms of what they can and cannot speak about with members of the media. It seems to be intended to, 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 to cover basically the interventions or the speeches given by members to the General Assembly and some of the content of the discussions in the small groups, perhaps to make sure that people feel free to speak openly or to raise their concerns in those small groups. 
But what it's done is left the journalists here a bit unsure about how to conduct themselves. And it's left the members unsure about how much they can tell journalists about what's going on, even when they, they want to speak positively or just give a general assessment. It's funny because part of our reporting here is every day at the Synod, we can go outside the Synod Hall. It's held inside the Vatican's Paul VI Hall, where the Pope normally has his Wednesday general audiences. And we can greet Synod members as they're coming and going. Uh, we can talk to them about the, the proceedings or how they're feeling. And I think Chris has had the same experience as me, is when people are coming and going, they're very kind. They, they talk to you. They want to give you an idea. Uh, I bumped into uh, the Cardinal Secretary of State, Cardinal Paroline, uh, yesterday, and he told me the Synod is, is working. Uh, it's going very well. And he, he framed it as the Holy Spirit is breathing, which I thought was a nice comment. But it gives you a sense of some of these people want to kind of give a sense of how Pope, what Pope Francis wants to happen is happening. And uh, they're feeling a bit limited or a bit unsure, even if they can do that. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we're seeing is without them able to tell the story of what's happening inside the hall, what's happening outside of the hall gets more attention than perhaps it normally would. Cardinal Zen, the retired Cardinal of, of Hong Kong, released a big letter this week. He's not here in Rome. He's in Hong Kong expressing his concerns about the Synod. And that, I think, got a lot more attention than it would have normally gotten because he's not a member. He's not a participant in the Synod. He's an outside observer. But that kind of became the story because members couldn't tell the story of what's happening in the Synod Hall. So I think these strange rules are backfiring. I'm hoping they'll change. I'm also encouraging members to lean into that discernment that the rules specifically say the members should be confidential, but also to use their discernment in talking to the press. So discern well and come talk to us. <laughs> I think in that vein, we might just break here and say, despite all that, and despite all this unclarity in terms of how members are supposed to conduct themselves, we're very grateful that we can bring you the voice of one Synod participant on this episode of the Vatican Briefing. And speaking of, maybe we'll take a break, and then we'll be back with our interview with Mercedarian Sister Philo Hirota. Joining us today on the Vatican Briefing is Mercedarian Sister Philo Hirota. In a storied career of service to the Church, Sister Hirota has held posts as the executive coordinator of her order, the Mercedarian Missionaries of Berize, as a board member of the Rome-based umbrella group of Catholic Sisters across the globe, the International Union of Superiors General, and as an executive committee member of Pax Christi International, the International Catholic Peace Movement. Originally from Tokyo, Sister Hirota has ministered in the Philippines, Mexico, Nicaragua, and Rome. In March 2023, Cardinal Mario Grech, the head of the Vatican Synod Office, appointed Sister Hirota as one of seven members of the Preparatory Commission for the current Synod. She was the only woman appointed to the group. She is now taking part in the ongoing Synod Assembly as a non-voting expert. Sister Hirota, thank you so much for joining us on the Vatican Briefing. Thank you very much for inviting me. Wonderful to have you. So we know the Synod Assembly is now operating under some rules regarding the confidentiality of the Assembly's discussions. But a lot of what has happened in the past week happened before the Assembly even formally opened or formally started. Among the events, there were the, the retreat reflections offered by Dominican Father Timothy Radcliffe, the Pope's letter responding to the questions of the dubia from the Cardinals, the release of Laudate Deum, and the Pope's opening homily for the Synod. As you look back on this week, are there moments that really stick in your mind as particularly important? 
I think that one of the things is the retreat given by Father Radcliffe and the Mother Ignatia. And that was a very, I think, important moment for all of us, all of the participants, because well, this was the first time really to prepare this synodal journey as the discernment sort of journey and to be aware that the really Holy Spirit is the protagonist. Because this is something, I think everything has been happening around the Synod since 2021 is radically new, really. And it's an, it, and I think it's, it's a call. So I think it, it helps us very much to prepare this journey as they gathered in Sacrofan. You know, we were watching the, the live stream of the retreat back here in Rome. I was really struck by the honest and open nature of Father Radcliffe's reflections. He used some really beautiful language. Something that continues to play in my mind is the line, orthodoxy is spacious, heresy is narrow. I'm wondering what it was like for you to watch that as a synod participant or what frame of mind it put you and the other synod participants in. I, I was very much impressed how he started talking and he identified himself. I'm a, uh, I'm white, uh, cleric, and the man. And then telling them that I don't deserve really to share my experience. That was really, to me, striking, because the church, in a way, has been led by white, male, cleric, European, and now. In, the, in a situation where the official church is functioning, this man is saying that I don't deserve, which is really amazing. And I think it was a beautiful sort of gesture. And then he talked about the reality, and he talked about his experience as the uh, general leader of the Dominican Order, and it was a beautiful also uh, sort of sharing. And maybe not this time, but it's something similar. I heard him sharing about his experience in Burundi, I think. It was a, such a terrible situation of violence. And he said, we celebrate Mass. And it was a sort of like a saving uh, grace because you didn't have to think what to say because there's no word to describe what's happening. But they celebrated Mass. They repeated Jesus' word, do this in memory of me. And that was really sort of like a life-giving. You know, I remember that. So, so it was really a good way to start journeying, yes, to start this journey here. I remember when you were here in Rome last spring for the, the first meeting of this preparatory mention that Josh talked about. And you told me then that in an interview that this was part of a journey of the church becoming normal, <laughs> becoming a more normal church open to the world. And on Wednesday, we heard Pope Francis in his opening homily. He said, come, all of you who are weary and oppressed, the church is here for you. As someone who helped plan the synod, how did hearing those, the Pope's words resonate with you, particularly if you think through all the, the lead up to this moment and this journey to become normal and him officially starting this process? What was that like for you? No, really, I really think that listening to Timothy Radcliffe and then listening to Pope Francis, I think we are becoming normal and we are becoming human. 
and really touching the depths of our humanity, which is so very, I mean, that's the only way to live and to, live, to be church, really. So in this, in, in this sense, I think the Pope's sort of, his invitation to be radically inclusive is so very important. What he said in Portugal, todos, todos, todos. Yeah, really. And then not to leave anybody behind. I think it's a very, yeah, very meaningful and very beautiful, I think, that invitation to be church and to be human. Could you describe what it was like to be a part of this preparatory meeting? Was there a certain feeling from Cardinal Grech or, or other members about how this synod might look differently from other past synods and the, the goal of what we're now witnessing here in Rome? What sort of vision was presented to you and what sort of vision did you dream up together? I think really that the vision is, has been presented to so many documents sort of publicized about this uh, synodal journey. So what is important is, and it's not just a vision, but it's the way and its structure, and it, it's everything, really. So, yeah, and then I think that the cardinal is really trying, and then also he's very conscious of how the synodal the secretariat is situated, because synodal secretariat is not part of the Norman Curia. So he tries so hard. In this sense, he's very also, also very human. And the interpersonal relationships is very important. So I think that the same thing happens in the committee. Committee is also a synodal community. And then I think, uh, I, I feel that my way of saying it, we are like-minded people. <laughs> we are like a comrade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, I know that when Chris interviewed you earlier, uh, you relayed the story of the time the Pope came to the preparatory commission, and, and he, exclu- he exclaimed, women, don't they? Yeah, they yes, we went to see him, and of course he had appointed me, so he should have known. But And then there was another, the other person from the secretariat, we are two women, but the Pope looked at us and saw us, and he said, don't they? And, but he was glad to see the don't they? So I said, oh, well. I, I'm curious like, if I can ask if you... If there was any particular indications from the Pope himself during the process preparing for this synod or any particular instructions he, he was relaying to the commission in terms of how to... No, not really. But Cardinal Mario has a very close relationship. I think everything that he does, he talks with the Pope. Yes. So I feel that we are really working with, uh, with Pope. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll ask one of the novelties of this synod, of course, is that women are playing a larger role than they have before. If I'm getting the numbers right, I think there are about 80 women among some 460 participants, and about 40 women are sisters. How important do you see Pope Francis's decision to appoint more women and also to include women as voting members? This is the way it should be, really. And it should have happened a long time ago. I was at the Synod in 98, Synod of Asia, and at that time, each even observer had time to present. I think it was just five minutes or something. And I remember talking about women. And in a way, it's, well, I should say sad almost, because what I said almost 30 years ago still is a message to the church. <laughs> so, so now I think that, that we are becoming normal. 
as a human institution. It, it, it's a sort of, in a way, radical decision of Pope, but it should, should be, because and I remember I said since uh, Natalie was appointed and she had uh, the voting right, the first woman, it was a big news. But now it's not just one. Yeah, this is Sister Natalie Bicar, who is an undersecretary now yes, that's right. at the Synod of Bishops. Yes. The Synod's working document includes a lot of discussion about how the church might better recognize the contributions of women or even open up the possibility of some ordained ministries to women. Do you have any particular hopes in this regard? I do. I really do. But I think it would be a sort of a beginning. The big thing is that we are talking about it. And that in itself is a novelty. Yes. And as we enter this Synod's second week, is there anything that you're looking forward to on the horizon? Anything in, the, in terms of the Synod's discussions or the experience you're having with your fellow Synod members that you're anticipating and looking forward to? There is, a, and I think during the press conference, it was mentioned that there's a very sort of this life in this community. And people are, in a way, happy. Not everybody, maybe. But then I've been asking people, and then they said their community is, there's so much life and so much sharing, and so the Holy Spirit is working and uh, pushing us. So this, I'm hopeful. Yes. I I know that uh, you have limited time, and we want to wrap up with you, and uh, that there are certain rules regarding confidentiality of the Synod. But I'm wondering, is there something you can give our listeners in terms of what it feels like in the room or a sense of just the atmosphere? Well, I think the community is really interpersonal relationships. And as Timothy Radcliffe said, he talked about fear and then to be, to go beyond. And if when we share the same sort of vision or hope or horizon, we can really transcend. But in a way, of course, because I, I'm a religious and I live in a community, and when you live in a community day by day, interpersonal relationships are not easy at all. But in this kind of thing, you meet just once, even for one month, and you are eager to know each other. So there's a, from the very beginning, I think there's a very positive attitude towards others. And then and besides, we are supposed to be discerning, and that's listening, which is very important. And I think we will slowly really create this community of searching together, that is, from becoming I to we. Well, thank you so much for joining us and being part of our community on this podcast. We really appreciate you joining us today on the Vatican Briefing, Sister Hirota. Good luck as you continue the Synod sessions next week. Okay. Thank you very much. Welcome back to the Vatican Briefing. We're really grateful today to Sister Fila Horota for coming on and giving us a really extraordinary interview. Chris, I was really struck by the fact that she had this previous experience in 1998 with the Synod on Asia, 
and had already then raised the issue of women in the church and is now doing it again with more experience, but also at a different level as someone who was on the Synod Preparatory Commission and is helping organize the event itself. Yeah, it has to be something for her to reflect back on that experience 25, 30 years ago, and now to be in the Synod Hall and seeing a, a, a woman sitting at the Pope's table, you know, in a round table with the Pope, to see bishops at tables with lay women and all, all these religious sisters that are part of this room. It's quite striking. And, and I also was struck by how she talked about how when they met with the Pope to plan this, it wasn't as if the Pope came in with a list of demands. They seemed to have a blank slate and really that established the freedom for the Synod office to create the conditions for this sort of month-long, very open fairly transparent process for those in the room. Yeah, really fascinating. Well, thank you again to Sister Philo. Really appreciate her presence with us today. Uh, before we wrap up this episode, maybe we can talk a bit about what's going to be happening in the next week ahead at the Synod. Uh, as we're sitting here, it's Saturday, October 7th. On Monday, October 9th, the Synod members are going to start discussing a new section of their working document. That section is focused on the Church's commitments to social justice and environmental work, and also its relationships with other Christian den denominations. Interestingly, of course, in the Synod Hall are fraternal delegates from a number of different ecumenical or other Christian de denominations who will take part in these discussions. And then the Synod will continue those discussions through next week, first in their small working groups and then all together as a General Assembly. By Friday, October 13th, the Synod is expected to move on to a different section of the working document, which focuses on the issue of co-responsibility in the Church. And this asks some really big questions especially about the possibility of expanding women's involvement in leadership. And one of those questions is specifically about whether it would be, quote, possible to envisage, end quote, women serving as Catholic deacons. Chris, beyond the nuts and bolts of what we're expecting in these coming days, do you want to talk to our listeners a bit about what it's like to be in, the, in Rome right now? Yeah, it's, it's quite busy. We are sitting right now this moment in a room just off of St. Peter's Square. We can see Bernini's Colonnade. And it's also the same path that, you know, multiple times a day, Synod members walk from their respective residents around the Vatican into the Synod Hall. It's where we stop and chat with them, as we talked about earlier. And so in a word, I'd say it's buzzing. It's ex exhausting, but it's really, you have this sense that it's very palpable that something special is happening. And it's our job to pull back the layers and make sense of, of what's happening in the room. We know already multiple topics have surfaced from seminary formation, migration, ecumenism. So the topics are bubbling up, and even the Pope, we heard, has intervened from the floor. And so I think it's, it's going to be a busy month ahead. Well, that seems like a good place to wrap up for this week. Thanks again for joining us on the Vatican Briefing. If you've enjoyed the show, please plan to join us next week for another special interview and all the updates on the discussions at Pope Francis's Synod of Bishops. You can find our show notes with links to relevant uh, to, to today's discussion at ncronline.org. And please, if you feel so inclined, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or however you listen. That really helps and is really appreciated. Until next week, you've been briefed. Vatican Briefing is a production of National Catholic Reporter. John Grasso is the executive producer. Joshua McElwee and Christopher White are your producers and hosts. 
The editing was done by David Dalt of Sandberg Media, and music is by Blue Dot Sessions. Check out more great reporting from the National Catholic Reporter at ncronline.org. Thank you.